Not sure how a guy really follows that, but uh, give it a best shot here. Hey, this morning we are uh, in kind of the second of two weeks of a series uh, called Storms of Life, and kind of appropriate that we had this a little storm uh, this morning, because we all go through, you know, weather-related storms that are out there. Uh, This one wasn't as bad as advertised, which we're all uh, glad of, Um, at least uh, I was when I got out there and realized that the stuff on my window wasn't quite so frozen solid as I was afraid it might be. Um, several years ago, uh, back in, when I lived outside of Louisville, Kentucky, at the end of 2008 and the beginning of 2009, that area, and I don't know if it got up to this far or not, experienced two really big storms, the aftermath of Hurricane Ike, and there was a lot of flooding and wind and all kinds of damage at the end of 2008, and then at the beginning of 2009, there was a severe ice storm. Everything was just kind of shut down and nobody moved, and so one of the uh, local television stations actually printed up T-shirts. Um, it said, you know, I survived, I weathered the storm, uh, Hurricane Ike 2018 and the ice storm 2009. And so I got one of those t-shirts, you know, and maybe, you know, not just weather related, but all of us have experienced some sort of storms in our life, right? Not the weather related kind, but kinds that shake our foundations of, of just of our life, of things that are going on with us. Maybe it's relationships, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a family situation. We experience storms, and maybe, you know, if you're, maybe you're in one right now, maybe you're just coming out of one. If that's not the case, look out, because here comes one, all right? Because that just seems how life is. Either we're coming out of one, we're in one, or one is on the way. And maybe you, like me, you can say, yeah, I've been there, I've done that, I, I got the t-shirt, I got the scars to show that I have um, I've been through these storms um, in my life. Um, as I thought about uh, this series, you know, last week, you know, we can face all kinds of storms. Last week we talked about the storm of fear that often kind of paralyzes us in inactivity. Today we're going to talk about the storm of failure, right, the storm of failure. And I thought, I thought about that, um, I was reminded of the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving's probably not for you. Right, think about that one. Okay, but to get us started, I think it's important we kind of level the playing field because, as I say, you know, uh, failure, uh, the room is going to be divided into two camps. You know, there's going to be some people, they're kind of like um, fawns from Happy Days, all right? You remember the fawns from Happy Days back in the old days, really dating myself? Look it up on Netflix, it's cool. Um, all right, but he was one that he couldn't ever admit that he was wrong. He couldn't even say the word wrong, if you remember that. All right? And some of us were like, yeah, I know all you guys fail, and that's kind of sad for you. Um, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. All right? There's some of us that are kind of in that camp, and then there's the other people on the other side that kind of look at everybody else and think, well, everybody else kind of uh, has their stuff together, and I'm really unique in my failure. Nobody is really as bad of a failure as me. Kind of not like the Fonz, but more like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, right? That everything is always wrong, and it's always my fault, and everybody else is better than me, and I'm a failure, and everybody else is good, all right? So most people kind of fall maybe somewhere in between those two extremes, but that's kind of the ideas we often have. So just to kind of level the playing field, all right? This morning, I want us to take a little quiz. You ready for a quiz? All right, so I want you to raise your hand if any of these things apply to you, because the reality is we all have failed. Every single person in this room has experienced failure at some level or another, 
All right? And just to prove it, we're going to take this test. Right? So raise your hand if any of these failures apply to you. If you're a Purdue fan, wait, wait a minute, how did, that, how did I get that in there? All right. But anyway, um, all right. If you've ever failed a test, all right, let's just wait till the end, all right? That'll be less embarrassing, all right? If you've ever failed a test, all right? If you've ever been cut from a team, if you've ever auditioned for something, didn't make it, all right? Ever went after a job, didn't get it. Asked for a promotion, were turned down. Ever been inappropriately impatient with a three-year-old? Yeah. Ever forgotten a birthday or an anniversary? Heads up, Wednesday is Valentine's Day, all right? Don't forget about that. If you've ever eaten with the wrong fork, said the wrong thing, uh, if you've ever been late on a payment, if you've ever forgotten to make your bed or gone over the speed limit, if you've ever slept through a message you wish you'd have stayed awake for, or maybe you stayed awake for a message you wish you'd have slept through, all right? If you've ever experienced any kind of a, a moral failure or any kind of academic failure, relationship failure, failure in love or finances or business or sports or the physical or vocational or physical uh, spiritual realm, if you've ever experienced any kind of those failures, but only if that applies to you, raise your hand. All right, take a look around. What a bunch of losers, failures. Take a look right at your neighbor and just say, you are a failure. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? All right, let's close in prayer. No, I'm just kidding. But we are, you know, we're all failures in some way or another. Now, some of you want to put your hand down really quick because we don't like to think about that and we don't like all of our failures brought up in front of us. But the reality is the Bible makes it clear. It says in Romans 3.23 that we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. Okay, and if we're honest, we all, even the Fonz would probably uh, agree that he uh, hadn't, had fallen short of God's uh, standard. Um, Jesus said he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. But what was the reality? Everybody's sick, right? He came for everybody because we're all sick, right? The, we got to understand that we're all in the same boat, and it's sinking, okay? We've all failed at some level or another. So I don't know uh, what kind of a failure. You may be right in the middle of something right now. You may be just coming out of something. Something may be on your horizon, but all of us are dealing with some sort of failure, maybe even in an overwhelming way uh, this morning. Now, when I was growing up, I lived and breathed and ate and slept basketball. All right? It was all I cared about. My parents told me from the, as soon as I could uh, walk, I would walk over to my toy box, dump it over, and then throw all the toys back in. All right? I just loved basketball from the very beginning. As a little kid, my dad would take me to the high school games. And back in uh, those days in the late 70s, the uh, town where I grew up, Scottsburg, had a really good basketball team. And so I was able to uh, watch some really good high school basketball. And I got to watch. That was still back in one class time. And they, back in the end of the 70s, they won the sectional. And then they won the regional. And they went to the semi-state two years in a row. And for a little school like ours, that was pretty cool. And I got to watch those guys climb up the ladder and cut down the nets. And I made my goal right then as a, as a fourth or fifth grader that one, one day I too was going to get to climb up those, that ladder and cut down the nets and I was going to be a champion and that was kind of what I put in my goal. And so again, I just lived and ate and slept and breathed basketball and that's all I did. Unfortunately, there, I didn't have any classmates that kind of shared that passion, all right? And so our teams, we weren't very good, all right? The sophomore year, we were three and 18, that ain't very good, all right? You don't get to climb up the ladder 3 and 18, all right? I'll just tell you. Second, my junior year, we were better. We improved greatly. We won five games that year. We were 5 and 16. 
By my senior year, we were finally kind of up to the level of mediocrity and respectability. And by the end of the season, one of the, uh, the newspapers actually even picked us. Uh, some of them picked us to win our sectional and another, uh, the rest of them picked another team. And so it was, you know, we had a shot. Well, sure enough, we made it to the final game of the sectional. We won our first two games, and here was my chance. I was going to get to climb up the ladder, win the sectional dream come true, right? To make a very long story short, at the end of regulation, the score was tied. So we went into overtime. At the end of the first overtime, the score was tied. At the end of the sixth overtime, excuse me, at the end of the fifth overtime, the score was tied. So count them, one, two, three, four, five overtime, still tied. Sixth overtime, we get the ball with less than a minute to play. Our coach calls timeout, and I'm not making this up. He sets us down there, and he looks at me and says, Chuck, what do you think we should do? I'm not making this up. I said, I'm tired of messing. Give me the ball. Get out of the way. We're winning this game. I'm climbing up the nets. I'm going to be the champion. All right? So that's exactly what they did. They gave me the ball. Everybody got out of the way. I dribbled the time down. About eight seconds left. Started my move to the basket for the game-winning shot. And just as I planted my feet to go up to score the game-winning basket, my feet hit a little wet spot on the floor. Slipped out from under me. The ball trickled out of bounds. Other team threw the ball inbounds, went down, hit a shot at the buzzer. No awe? No nothing? And you guys are losers. Man, tell you what. Talk about devastation. I had, my whole life, that is what I had set as what my goal. It was right there within my grasp. And because of my failure, I couldn't get it. Now, I could tell you that I was named the most valuable player of the tournament, even though my team didn't win. But do you think that, that mattered to me? No. Why? Because I was a failure. It was that close, and my mistake kept me from getting the thing that I had put up there. Now, for a long time, I thought that was my biggest failure. I guess probably for a long time it was. Um, but then I got married. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be funny right there. But, um, and for the first few years of our marriage, I was a terrible husband. I'll just, I'll just say it up front, all right? I was a terrible husband. There, in the years since, I, sometimes I haven't been much better, all right? I failed miserably in that way. There's times I've failed badly as a parent. I've lost patience, and I haven't done well as a father uh, to my kids. I've lost jobs. My most recent job, you know, I got fired from, all right? I have experienced bigger failures um, than that. We've all failed, you know. Some failures, in retrospect, don't seem all that important. Others, you know, like the, the broken marriage or the, the child that goes astray, those are the ones that kind of haunt us and, and stick with us. But no matter how or how often we failed, the account we're going to look at in the Bible this morning kind of gives us a response to the failure, or at least tells us um, some three important truths about failure. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And one reason why I really love the Bible is because it doesn't candy coat stuff. It doesn't present a bunch of perfect people doing, living perfect lives and everything coming out. Have you ever noticed that? It, it presents a whole bunch of flawed people, kind of like us, that God uses in spite of their weaknesses to, to do some great things. And one of the people uh, that is kind of highlighted uh, in the New Testament is a guy named Peter. That's who's one of the, part of his story we're going to look at today. And Peter was, he was loud, he was obnoxious, he was opinionated. Kind of reminds me of me. <laughs> I guess that's why I like him. And he uh, was a, a failure in many ways. 
Um, he, his, but his successes were big. You can read his stories. I mean, he was the one that first identified Jesus as the, as the Messiah. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was the first one that made that pronouncement. He walked on water. That's pretty cool, right? His successes were huge. But as we're going to see today, his failures, they were pretty big too. In fact, they were splashed there for everybody to see. His biggest failure was put in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How would you like that? Your biggest failure written down for everybody throughout history to read about. Anybody want to sign up for that? <laughs> yeah, me neither. Right? But that was Peter's spot. That's what Peter. That's where he uh, was. And what we're going to pick up the story here is on Thursday night, the last week of Jesus' life and ministry. Right? He had just had the, the Last Supper, uh, gone to the garden, uh, been betrayed, uh, the before uh, Pilate, uh, the kangaroo court, all that kind of stuff that's going on. If you're familiar with the Bible story, that's kind of where we pick up the story. He's uh, in that situation, and Peter, one of his great friends, is following along just to kind of see uh, what's going to happen. We pick up the story, Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. So we'll be looking at verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You, you were also with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway, where another girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again, this time with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you're one of them, for your accent gives you away. Even in that situation, he couldn't keep his mouth closed. He was talking. That's how they recognized his accent. And he said, Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me, or disown me, three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You ever been there? A a failure so intense that... Uh, and so gut-wrenching that all you could do is just kind of weep bitterly. These aren't quiet sobs. No, these are heart-wrenching tears. You ever been there? Peter was there. These are the tears that come when your marriage is failing or has failed, and you know that you have nobody to blame but yourself. These are the tears that you cry when, when your child, you see your child doing something that harms their, their body or their future. These are the tears that you cry when you, fe- you see your life dreams flowing away and there's nothing you can do about it. Have you ever been there? Weeping bitterly. That's where Peter was. That's where he finds himself. Maybe you are there this morning. That's where Peter was in this part of the story. I mean, here was Peter, one of Jesus' three closest friends, denying that he even knew him. I mean, that's unbelievable, right? I mean, Jesus had, or Peter had seen miracles. He was right there with him. As Jesus did... Uh, Miracles. He walked with Jesus. He walked on water with Jesus. And yet, when the going got tough, he folded like a cheap suit. Can you imagine? When he realized what he'd done, he wept bitterly. He broke down. No matter if you've, you've been there, if you are there, or if you'll be there sometime in the future, from Peter's experience, we're going to look at three lessons that we can learn about failure all right, from, the, from this uh, text. So three truths about failure. You ready? All right. Number one, one number one truth. God knows we're going to fail. God knows we're going to fail. Do you know that? God knows we're going to fail. Look again at verse 75. After he had done it, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. 
Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You see, just a few hours before, Jesus got all his disciples together and he told them exactly what was about to happen. This is what he said. This is what the account says. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter, this is our guy, Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, don't you love that passion? Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. God knows we're going to fail. In fact, Jesus predicted Peter's exact failure, told him exactly what he was going to do. Of course, Peter denied it, of course. Um, He said, I'll be there for you, Jesus. I'm your rock. Remember, you can build this whole thing on me. Even if these other losers fall away, I'm not going to. I'm going to be right here. You can count on me. Of course, Peter had no idea of the dramatic circumstances that were about to unfold. But what happened? Peter did exactly what Jesus said. He failed big time. But it didn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew he was going to fail. See, God knows we're going to fail. Our failure never catches God off guard. Did you know that? He's never surprised by our failure. Saddened, but not surprised by our failure. Because God knows we're going to fail. Think about it. That's why Jesus came in the first place. Because God knew we were going to fail. So that's the first truth about failure. God knows we're going to fail. Here's the second truth. God is more interested in our response to our failures. God knows we're going to fail, so he's more interested, not in the failure, he knows that's going to come. He's more interested in our response to our failure. What's important is what we do after the fact. See, our failure can push us one of two ways. It can push us toward God or away from God. Failure is sometimes the best teacher because we sometimes can learn things in the midst of an incredible failure that we could never learn uh, any other way. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, sometimes it's only when we're failing miserably that we feel weak enough to look to God for strength. Sometimes failure not puts us to our knees, maybe even literally uh, puts us on our back. And it's there we finally look up to see God and to rely on his strength. It's then that we have to trust him because we have no other option. We've got to get to the place where we understand 2 Corinthians, the truth of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I love this paraphrase version where God said, Jesus said, My grace is all you need. My strength operates best in you when you understand that you are weak. Because when you're strong, you think you're good enough. You think you're strong enough. My strength works best when you realize how weak you are. Have you come to realize that? Sometimes the only time we come to realize that is when we're in the midst of a failure. We've tried our best and failed miserably. Then we realize that our best is not good enough. And that's when God's strength can shine through. We'll all fail, but God's more interested in our response to what happens. What what was Peter's response? What did he learn? How did he respond? Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. In Luke chapter 22, Luke's version of the story, uh, Jesus says to Peter, When you have turned back, Strengthen your brothers. Again, Peter, uh, Jesus predicted Peter's failure. 
But then he told him beforehand, but when you turn back, I got faith in you, Peter, you're going to come back around. When you come back around, encourage and strengthen your brothers. And he did that. Peter became a strong leader uh, in the early church. See, when he relied on his own strength, he failed miserably. But later, in a letter to the church, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he wrote about the importance about doing whatever we do in the strength God provides, not in our own strength. Where do you think he learned that lesson? Peter was a proud and arrogant and self-sufficient. But later, in chapter 5 of that same letter, he wrote, Clothe yourselves in humility. Humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. That's how Peter responded. That's how, what he learned from his failure. The question this morning is, what, what have I learned from mine? What have you learned from yours? Will we learn the lessons that God has for us in there? And I've learned that God's faithful even when I'm not. I've learned that even when I think I'm the best one, or that I think my best is good enough, God's strength is better than my weakness. In the midst of our failures, what can you learn from that? Admit it, take responsibility if that's necessary, repent if that's necessary, learn the lesson, move on. Don't live there, don't die there. I mean, that that was the difference between Peter and Judas, right? I mean, they both betrayed their friendship with Jesus dramatically, but Peter turned back to Jesus where Judas turned away and died in that state of failure. See, God's not, he knows that we're going to fail, doesn't take him by surprise. He's more interested and more concerned with our response to our failure. And the great thing is, with God, and this is the third lesson we can learn, our failure doesn't have to be final. Our failure doesn't have to be final. Did you know that? Maybe you've probably heard stories uh, along those lines. Did you know that Albert Einstein failed his college entrance exam? So I'm told, I read it on the internet, must be true, right? Um, He had a college professor tell him he'd never amount to anything. You know how that turned out. Abraham Lincoln failed in business a couple of times, lost eight elections before he was elected president. You probably knew about that. Babe Ruth struck out over 1,300 times before he hit his 714th home run that people remember. You probably know that Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team as a sophomore. Um, Or maybe that during his professional uh, career, he missed over 12,000 shots. That's a lot of failure. And over, he lost over 14, or excuse me, over 400 games. 26 times he failed to make the, what the, would have been the game-winning basket. Anybody remember any of that stuff? No. Why? Because for all those people, failure wasn't final. And here's the encouragement this morning. I don't know what failure you have had in the past that you're hanging on to, that you're going through right now, or that you will come to in the future with God Our failure doesn't have to be final either. Our final doesn't have to be final. That doesn't mean there's no pain. It doesn't mean that. That night was bad for Peter. That was terrible, heart-wrenching pain. Just because his failure wasn't final doesn't mean that there was no pain. No, it doesn't mean that at all. I mean, the, he, he was devastated. It was a terrible night. He saw the trial. He saw his, one of his best friends be beaten. The guy he thought was going to be Messiah crucified. Right? That's a bad night. That's a painful night. doesn't mean there's no pain. certainly doesn't mean there's no consequences for our uh, behaviors or for our failures. But that wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the end of the story for Peter. It's not the end of the story for us. Doesn't mean there's no pain, doesn't mean there's no consequences, but it does mean that no matter how devastating the failure, it doesn't have to end there. Peter's story didn't end there. Let me give you a little bit more encouragement. 
God never gives up on you when you fail. Did you know that? No matter how bad we fail, God doesn't give up on us. We're going to sing a song at the end that says, Oh no, you never let go. Through the calm, through the storm, you never let go of me. God never gives up. Now you might give up on you. Your husband might give up on you. Your wife might give Your kids might give God never gives up on you. No matter what you've done, he never gives up on me. Just like he didn't give up on Peter. Peter who denied him those three times. You know, it'd be kind of tempting for us, and maybe you've been that, you say, Peter, how in the world could you have done that? I mean, do you ever think that just a little bit? You read his story and think, Peter, I mean, just moments ago, literally hours ago, you saw, I mean, you swiped the, the ear off of a soldier with your sword, cut it off, and you saw Jesus put it up, stick it back on. How? I mean, you saw this stuff with your eyes. I mean, he raised people from the dead. You saw it. it one, your mother-in-law. Right? That could go either way, I guess, plus or minus. But you saw some pretty cool things. All right? Very recently, how could you do this? How could you deny? How could you fall away so quickly? But I know how you could. I bet you too. You do too. Have you ever asked this question of yourself? How, how, how could I have done that? How could I have been so stupid? How could I have been so selfish? How could I have, you fill in the blank, how could I have done that? With, based on my experience, with what I know about God, with what I know about, how could I have done that? I bet that's what Peter was asking himself too. That's why he wept bitterly. How, how could I have done that? We've all been there asking that question. How could I have done that? I love God's response. God didn't say, Peter, how, how could you? He didn't say that at all. Because, see, another rooster crowed for Peter. It was just a couple days later. On Sunday morning, another rooster crowed. It became morning. The women went to the tomb to see about Jesus. They were met by an angel. Maybe you know that part of the story. It's incredible what the angel says to him. I'm going to read this. Mark chapter 16. This is what the angel says to the ladies. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. But he has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? Check this out. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Did you catch that? Two little words could have been easily left out. Go tell his disciples and Peter. You see, you better go tell Peter because he's feeling pretty low right now. He's feeling like a failure. He's feeling like it's all over. You go tell him. You go tell Peter for sure the story's not over. The story doesn't end here. I'm not done with him. Tell him I love him. Tell him I forgive him. The story isn't over. His failure doesn't have to be final. So I think about the failures that we carry, and there's a whole range of them in this room, right? Some of them are the more public kind, right? The messy divorce, the failed business, maybe a run-in with the law. Others are less public but no less painful, the addiction that we hope nobody ever finds out about, the secret sin that we want to keep hidden. No matter what kind of a storm uh, we're facing this morning, maybe you just can't, uh, just a general sense that life's not going right and it's my fault. Right? Maybe you feel like a failure as a husband or a wife or a parent. The story of Peter shows up close and personal what it's like when we look into the eyes of Jesus after a failure. He doesn't say, how could you? He says, I love you, and it doesn't have to end here. 
Don't minimize the truth this morning and think, okay, yeah, preacher, that's a great story, and he could forgive Peter. But you have no idea what, what I've done. You have no idea what's in my past. He could never forgive me. If, he found out about, if, if you found out about what I've done, if God knew, he couldn't love me. His love poss- couldn't possibly, he wouldn't possibly love me. Some of you think that you're too far from God, and that's God's love doesn't reach you anymore. Friends, if you think that, if you've ever thought that, if you know anybody that thinks that, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Because the Bible makes it clear, Romans chapter 8, all through the Bible, that there is nothing, nothing in this world or in any other world that can separate us from the love of Christ. Did you know that? There's nothing that can separate. Our failure, no matter what it is, no matter how devastating it is, no matter how bad you think it is, cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Bottom line this morning God is a God of second chances. Isn't that a great thing? Second chances. The mulligan in golf, any golfers? It's a wonderful thing. You mess it up, you get a second chance. Maybe you know the story of the prodigal son. God is a God of second chances. He'll do that because his love for us, catch this, it has nothing to do with us. God's love for us is not conditional on anything we do or don't do. See, we think if we do good, God loves us. We do bad, God is angry with us. Right? And God doesn't love us. God loves us. Period. doesn't matter our failures or what have you. It's not, I love you if you get it right next time. It's just, I love you. And I, forgiveness is available, and it doesn't have to end here. If you're in the middle of the, a storm this morning, remember who you're dealing with. You're dealing with the same Jesus who, after his resurrection, came and he looked Peter in the eye and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Jesus, you know I do. And he asked him three separate times. Is there a significance to that? I think so. Peter died him three times. He asked him three times, did he love him? I think that means if, if Peter would have denied him four times, I think Jesus would have asked him four times. God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth and 25th. And I'm old. Thousand chances. All right? It happens over and over. God continues to forgive and to love and to show grace. That's what Peter's story tells us, what the whole Bible tells us. God is a God of second or third or fourth or how many ever chances. That's our God. Some of you need to hear that this morning. You need to hear the angel saying, you go tell the disciples and Chuck, that one that continues to fail. You go tell that lady who had the abortion. You go tell that man who abused his kids. You go tell Joe or Bill. It's not over. The story doesn't have to end here because I continue to love and to forgive and I'm a God of second chances. Do you remember the first time you tried to ride a bicycle? Remember that? Right? You probably jumped on it, uh, immediately rode off and said, Mom, go to the store, see you later. Right? No, it didn't work that way, did it? You got on, you wobbled, you crashed, you fell. You got it up, you wobbled, you crashed, you fell. You ran into the bush, right? Maybe you had somebody run along behind you, right? And as soon as they let go, you wobbled, you crashed, you fell, right? That's how, you, that's how it all goes, right? And you might have got really frustrated. You might have even turned around and told the person who was help, you know, holding the bike that they were doing it wrong, right? Because obviously, if you wouldn't be crashing, if they'd be doing their part right. Now, think about that. When you crashed and you wobbled, did the person who was helping you that was running along beside, did they look at you and go... How dumb and clumsy could you be? You will never amount to anything. You'll never learn to ride this bike. Go to your room right now. I hope not. Does anybody anybody have that? I hope not. No, what do they do? They put you back up and say, no, it's all right. Go, you can do it. All right? 
Do they look at you and, and say, you can't ride a bike, you know, let somebody else do this? No, because it's not how moms and dads or brothers or sisters or grandmas and grandpas or uncles or whoever it was that was helping you. Because they know that failure is a part of it. And that you've got to get back on and they're going to be right there with you. That's what any good father, mother, friend would do. Friends, that's the God that we have. He doesn't look at us when we fail and say, how could you? He looks at us when we fail and says, I love you. Let me help you. Let me come alongside of you. That's why I came in the flesh of Jesus, because I knew you were going to fail. I knew you couldn't do it by yourself. And so I came to help you. Friends, that's the God that we have. Our failure, I don't care what failure you're going through this morning, it doesn't have to be final, because God is a God of second chances. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the story of Peter. God, he is flawed tremendously. He reminds me of me. Not anywhere near perfect. But God, you used him in spite of his imperfections. God, thank you for his story that proves to us once and for all that you're more concerned with our our response because you know we're going to mess up and that our failure doesn't have to be final because of Jesus. God, I just pray that everyone that can hear my voice this morning, whether here in this room or online, would just let that truth sink in. That nothing we have done, no failure that we've done, would separate us from your love, from your grace, from your forgiveness. God, help that truth just sink into our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.